Alrighty, let's do this. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 34 of Coffee Time with Byron. I am your host, Byron. And alongside me for this episode, we have former or still current. Are you still fighting? No, really. I'm just more coaching now. After what, like amateur and pro, got like 190 something total with boxing and Muay Thai and MMA and pro mans. Been punched too many times in the head, you know. <laughs> ready to ready to pass the torch to my guys. I got so many guys at the compound that I don't really need to fight to represent my fight style anymore. I've got 150 fighters that fight for me. They can do it, you know. I feel you on that. It's a tough sport, but to conclude, we have Sean Waffler. Am I saying it correct? That's correct. Has the has the guest. So let's hop right to it. I first want to know, I see, how in the blue hell did you get the name The Destroyer, your nickname? How did that come well, about? That came from um, nothing to do with fighting. When I, I've got a twin sister, and uh, and I, when I was a little kid and I would open my presents, I would be all like aggro, and I would say, bang the fucking presents down and punch them and fuck them up and then like the toys would be broken so then my parents would start having to take the toys out of the boxes wrap the boxes and then give me the present up fuck the boxes up and then uh, they give me the toy afterwards and my grandpa was like fuck the destroyers here and like so then when i was like five years old they started calling that because the way i opened presents and then uh my dad told me uh, uh, something like, yeah, he's always kind of destroys some stuff and random stuff like that to like the King of the Cage people. And, uh, and then, okay, <laughs> and then, uh, my daughter, uh, and then, uh, I was walking down to the King of the Cage, uh, cage one time, I, and I think I had like 16 or 17 pro fights at that point. And I think the interviewers or something talked to my dad before the fight and didn't tell me. And then, now, Sean, the Destroyer, Loffler, and I look at my coach, I'm like, what the fuck? Because I wanted my nickname to be Lights Out because I love the Chargers and I love Sean Merriman. So right. Like, Sean's Lights Out Waffler. And so they announced the show. I my coach. I'm like, you fucking kidding me? And then the announcers were like, blah, 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 blah. When he was a kid, and I'm like, well, I guess I'm stuck with this now. So I don't really like the nickname at all, but it stuck with me. Now, since you said you wanted Lights Out and he was your favorite player, which, go figure, the Chargers were my team and still are. I still consider them San Diego. I don't care what anybody says. They're not LA. Yep. Did you ever have a chance to meet Sean Merriman? Because I know he got, I know he got into a couple MMA fights or tried to for a bit there. Did you ever get to speak yeah. to him personally? I've met Sean Merriman personally. Um, actually, randomly, um, of, of all people. So one of the guys I fought in the cage, Keith Barry. Twitter because I think they're like, oh look, this guy's got like a blue check mark, and I just like those people. 
Richards in like eight, ten years. And the rest is like, who are you? And I'm like, my name's Sean. And then they're like, hold, hold on the line. And then afterwards, I got some more contact information. And then I was, I, I emailed a little bit, but no like personal meetings or anything like that. Um, and then my, ironically, at the same time, my ex-girlfriend, um, Sarah, we were together a couple of years, two or three years, she was um, a nanny for Philip Rivers and all of his kids. Wow. So I had this, I had this weird fucking connection to the Chargers, you know what I mean? That, but like nothing like, it was like nothing legitimate, it was just like all randomness, and I love the Chargers, so it worked out. Did you ever, did you ever think since you obviously got the relationship from there with your ex, as you said, and Philip, and Philip Rivers, what, what you think of him saying and having all these kids? He, I think he's what, in number nine now? And he's still- Number nine. He's I remember when he was, he was between seven, into the MMA world, seeing now he was an MMA fan, and somehow most of these, some of these athletes like Greg Hardy, uh, even wrestlers like Batista, Brock Lesnar, all these athletes want to jump into MMA. Nick Watson. Yeah, what's your take on that? Do you like them getting into it, or do you think, oh, hey, oh, they're going to just go get their asses whooped? <laughs> I fucking love them getting into it. Here's what people don't understand. I love Jake Paul and Logan Paul too. Here's the thing people don't realize. And these fighters, these egotistical fucking MMA guys, oh, they don't belong here. Stay in football, stay in MMA, stay in YouTube, whatever they're fucking trying to stay. You know, stay out of MMA, blah, blah. Here's the thing. There is no fight industry. There is no fight industry. There's the entertainment industry. That's what we're in. We're in the entertainment industry. I'm a businessman, you know, like I'm in different gyms and stuff like that, and I'm fighters and management. So all these guys that say, fuck the Jake Paul brothers, fuck the, uh, you know, Nate Robinson, uh, Batista, CM Punk, you know, Brock Lesnar, all the way back on my show, man, they all talk shit, and I go, bro, they, they could have chosen any industry in, in the entertainment industry to go into. They could have been into dirt biking. They could have gone into porn. They could have gone into fucking anything. And they decided to choose our sport and bring us recognition, bring us money, bring us more fans. How the fuck are you going to admonish somebody who's bringing fiduciary interest into our industry? That's crazy from a financial standpoint. And I would never do that. I love all those guys. The bigger names and the more recognition that we can bring into boxing, Muay Thai, Jiu-Jitsu, wrestling, mixed martial arts, and the list goes on, I feel that's better. Because what if the Paul brothers wanted to do arm wrestling? Or whatever. That's all those YouTube viewers, all those share things, all the, the, the Fox News 11 re- reviewing it, ESPN doing stories on it, to arm wrestling. You know? So I I appreciate it. And the more celebrities that want to be involved in the sport that I have a passion for and teach about, the better it is for everybody. And you and me. Did you see Ben Askren losing that fight, though, to Jake Paul? 100%. And I think I made a TikTok or a Instagram, some stupid thing. Lucas, uh, 
shout out to Lucas, my social media guy. Um, he always gets on my ass about social media. I hate social media. It's a fucking poisonous thing. But it's it's the way the world works. So he gets on me, do this, and I, I told everyone at my gym, I told everybody. Uh, uh, the Paul brothers are athletes. They're big, strong dudes. They're Ohio State wrestling champions. They can fucking fight. They've been in street fights. They've had a million people throw sucker punches at them since they've been YouTube stars. They're not. They're not scared to fight. And they're, you know, they're good athletes. So and Ben Askren, he fucking sucks at stand up, um, and he knows that. He, he's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. You know, I've got Kale Sanderson, probably Dan Gable. Mitch Clark, uh, uh, I would say George Burroughs, Kyle Dennett, and then Ben Askren. Like, I would, uh, um, you know, all those guys, um, I really, really like. And I like Ben Askren. I like, I just watched, uh, what was it, uh, Thursday? I watched the NCAA uh, wrestling finals, uh, NCAA wrestling championship, all weight divisions. Um, so I knew he was in trouble when I saw Jay Kidding. The bag, and then I saw Ben hitting the bag. I, I just knew I was like, "This isn't gonna go." And Floyd Mayweather, did you see that one? Do you think he could have knocked him out if it wasn't for the money aspect? Because that's all it wanted. The same with Connor, he could have knocked him out as well. But I think I think, I think Floyd could have knocked him out. But to be um, to be one hundred percent honest, I only watched the highlights of the fight. Um, not because I didn't want to watch it, but I think I was in Arkansas cornering like four of my pros that day. That's the only reason I didn't watch it. And I just saw the highlights on thing. I'm not, I would have watched it. I would have even paid more and supported the whole trailer thing because there's a lot of good undercard fights of guys that... See, that's the thing, is those undercards and those guys that get the recognition they never would get if Jake Paul or Logan Paul or whatever wasn't fighting got that recognition. And that's good for them. That's amazing for those guys. You know, that they get to fight for a big crowd on a big stage. So, um, I think it's great. Now, yeah, I think, though, I think this will happen. Connor has already said he wanted it. Uh, the only one that hasn't said that he would do another one is Mayweather. But I think that fight will actually happen again. Now, will it be as entertaining as the first one? I don't know. I never saw it. I saw highlights. But... Yeah, I'd like to see it. I'd like to. I'd like to see. I'd like to see it again, just to shut them up. I know it's a sport, and they want money. They're entertainers. That's what they yeah. want. Yeah. But honestly, if that's what they want, let them fight. But I don't know if Mc, do you see another one happening between them, because McGregor wants another one. No, McGregor wants anything that's gonna get him attention. Um, I met Conor McGregor once or twice. I think twice. Fight. And then um, Justin Poirier is going to beat 
Connor again, and then there's going to be no reason for McGregor to uh, fight Mayweather because Mayweather's going to go, you can't even beat Poirier, who's like a good stand up great fighter, but like, I mean, Floyd's the best boxer of all time. So you know, you, like, you see, you see McGregor then retiring after this fight for what? How many times? His fourth, fifth time now he said he's retired. Do you see him actually yeah. officially retiring after this one if he loses? No. No. Because he's got an expensive lifestyle. And you would agree with me because I was the notorious one would be like, John Lockwood's right. That guy's right. Here's the thing is he has a very expensive lifestyle. And, but he's got proper 12 and he's got his watch company, McGregor Time Pieces. He's doing well. He's got a lot of investments and whatnot. He's doing very, very well. He doesn't need money. But he's a businessman. And if the money is there, Brian, businessmen take it. And so here's what happens after this Poirier fight. If Conor McGregor wins, it makes a lot of things a lot more interesting to him. But I think Dustin's got his number. And, um, and he's hungry as well. Um, and the fact that Conor McGregor didn't give him that 500000 to his charity after he said he would, I think Dustin's pissed about that. Because he really cares about that charity. Um, so... Connor's next move after this is the trilogy with Nate Diaz because that makes money. They each have one. Oh, yeah, each he just came back and he won, I believe. Correct. So and, and so they can build up either uh, Nate a little more or have Connor go out on a shield or even you know Connor win and attack. So there's still money to be made for that rubber match in Nate Diaz, and Dana knows that, and smart business people know that, and Connor knows that. So. So when it comes down to it, Brian, will Conor retire? He probably, he probably has wanted to retire all those times. No joke. He's got kids. He's got a beautiful wife. Lee Devlin is awesome. She's supportive. His kids are fucking little savages or funny cute kids. But if somebody offers you fucking $65 million, $110 million, you know, $35 million, you're going to be like, yeah, I think I can train for another month or two and, and fucking get in there. Maybe win, maybe lose. So, you know, even with the Poirier, maybe like, what, 10, right? Something like that. Um, so, I, yeah, if there's money like that to be made for Connor, he'll do it. And so Poirier's got a money fight. Nate Diaz is a money fight. There's no reason to do the Floyd Mayweather um, because he's probably going to get beat by those guys. But now comes the interesting thing um, about Mayweather. If you guys want to keep doing shit, like where if he actually fought somebody that could box a little more, Connor can fight. He can box. But like, a little more tougher of a boxer with more range. So if Nate were to beat Connor in a rubber match, I would love to watch Nate and fucking Floyd Mayweather fight because that's a guy I think that can drop Floyd. He's big, he's strong, he's long, and he boxes with Andre Ward. Well, I think you said that fight's already in the mix of happening soon, especially with, I think it was Nate. Yeah, Nate coming back. So, yep. and he wants, he wants to fight them both because he's had, he's had words with them both. They don't like. They, yeah. they both don't like each other. Each other, yeah. No, no, none of the Diaz brothers like uh, McGregor, and McGregor don't sure as hell don't like them. Them both. So I can see that happening. Um, and then, and then the funny thing is, is and you know how it goes, man. And, and it's no disrespect towards guys like this, but I'm gonna name a couple of fighters, and I think these guys, if you tagged them in, they would probably even agree with me, even if it sounds a little oddball or not offensive but um like guys like Tito Ortiz, Chuck Liddell, Randy Couture, those guys all in my opinion stuck around a little too long like you know yeah, um, the, the Tito Ortiz like kind of fight fakes with those cars junior 
I don't know if it was fixed or not in Combat Team Americanas. And then the trilogy with Chuck Liddell was so ridiculous. That that third Chuck Liddell fight was so fucking stupid. Um, and that Oscar De La Hoya promotion. And so I think though a lot of fighters, I should that, a lot of athletes stick around too long. Because it's hard. I, I mean, I might have, I mean, I have lose fights at the end of my career, but I, I've been fighting a couple smaller shows, fought a couple of bigger shows at the end of my career. But even me, I, you know, like after I, I got some injuries and stuff like that, realistically, I'm like, why would I just keep trying to fight just to like for the competition? Like I, I can make money other ways. Um, it's not like I'm going to be a UFC champion for real fighters who want to be the top of the sport. Like why am I just fight? I mean, like even if I was fighting former UFC guys, past men, Aaron Brink, guys like that. Like, yeah, I was knocking former UFC fighters out at the end of my career, mm. but, like, that wasn't going to get me back to a title shot in the UFC or Bellator or anything like that. Just local fights with some money and some exposure for my gym. So me included, but not on the stage at Tito and Chuck and those guys. And I definitely didn't do it at 40, 45, and 50 like those guys did. But um, I think fighters and athletes have a tendency to stick around too long and that's par for the course when you're really, really famous. Because once you go away from fame for a little bit and like the crowd and the cheering, you miss it, you know? Like um, as relevant as you are, like as relevant as you are one day, five years from then you won't be if you're not active. That's just a fact. Like Connor will be talked about five years from now, but I can name guys that like, if you show I would say 99% of Americans a picture of Frank Shamrock. They would have no fucking clue who he is. And he was the top, top, top dog of the fucking sport when he was going. You know, like, the top, you know? Really. You know? And so, um, exactly. And so, that's the thing is that it's hard to walk away from fame. And that's why guys hold on to it so tight, I think. And I have a feeling that, like, Connor could be 35, 40, and then him and Nick Diaz call each other out because he fought his brother three times and they put it on a thriller car, you know, with the Jake Paul. I mean, so I could see that definitely happening. I hope it doesn't. But we've seen it a lot in the past with the legends, like Peter Ortiz, Liddell, and the family, the list goes on and on, you know? So why do you, why do you feel like they have to... Yourself included, when you said you thought about it at one time, why do you, why do you guys feel like you have to at least try and come back and make that comeback or make that fight last fight? Why why do you guys feel like you have to come back? I know you guys miss the fame and all that, and the fans and the fans and all that.
what's happened with me a couple times is I'll be 36, 37 years old, you know, three years, four years ago, um, and because I'm 39 now, and uh, and I'll be training with or coaching guys that are pros that are young, 25, 22, 28, 19, doesn't matter how these younger guys that are starting to be relevant, and they're like 10 and 1, right? And they're one of your guys, and you realize, I'm like, you are fucking him up <laughs> every day, all day. And he respects you, and you love him. He's like a little brother. He's one of your fighters. But then you watch him fight a guy that's 7-1 and one and just beat his ass. And you're like, fuck, dude. I would, if he did that to that guy, I would have, like, that it. Like, one punch. Like, fucking lock up. And so you start to think about that as you watch your fighters, for me at least, dominate still. But then you're just training with them just based on experience. Not strength or athleticism. Just knowledge and experience. They'll make a mistake. Catch him Nick Moore. Don't make a mistake. Double jab across and they're on the ground. Not because I'm better. I just see openings and I've seen a billion fights, probably literally. And so, with all of that said, that was my kind of reason a couple times because I was like, yeah, fuck it. And then another reason was I would call out coaches of other gyms because I own the compound in Oceanside, recovery compound in Oceanside, um, and then the South Bay Jiu-Jitsu up in Rose Beach. So there would be other coaches that were a little bit old, aging guys, 35, 40-year-old guys, or head coaches or owners of a gym. In my area, I have the fucked up thing to do. And I'd be like, I'll beat your fucking ass and take your students. You know, I'm going to take your EFTs, your electronic funds transfers, your monthly monthly transfers. I'm going to take that shit and give it to my daughter because I'm going to fuck you up in front of your students. And everybody's like, fuck Sean Lawford, but I don't care. There you go. <laughs> so in your career, did you face or have the opportunity to face any contenders that went on? to Bellator or UFC? Tons. I, I started out, I started out, I mean, the compound, we were at the North County Fight Club. So I'll name the guys that, that was on our fight team. Um, we'll start with Dominic Cruz, Brandon Vera, Eddie Sanchez, Jason Lambert, uh, Joey Beltran, um, Ed Ratcliffe, Shannon Gerbity, uh, Evan Tanner trained with us before he died. He was living, he was staying at the compound and then on the boat before he died. They did a whole documentary involving the compound. Um, mm-hmm. Chris, Chris Osnowski and me, I used to train with him. Uh, Terry Sokaju and me have trained together for 15 years straight. He's one of my close, close, close friends. In fact, I think one of my last, if you look at my like last 25 pictures on Facebook, it's me, Beltran, and Sokaju training, getting Beltran ready and Sokaju for their last bare knuckle fights. Well, Beltran's third to last bare knuckle fight. Sokaju's last bare knuckle fight against, uh, Mark Hunter, Ray Sapphire, wherever you want. Um, so, let's see who else. Vladimir uh, uh, Matyshenko was my wrestling coach forever. Um, Anthony Hardock and me were training partners. Jacare Salsa lived in my house with Viviano Fernandez every summer up in LA. Uh, Tito Ortiz trained me for about six years straight. Scary Gary Gerbronowitz, Razor Rapapola. Um, uh, Tiki, obviously. Uh, fuck, bro. I, to answer your question, I've trained with a few. <laughs> um, I, I, I would go back to Boston in the summertime to stay with Jorge Rivera and train with Kenny Florian and, uh, and Jorge I'll tell you that uh, Kenny, I would actually I would see Kenny I would train with Keith a little bit but I would stay at Jorge's house that was back in 2007 2008 um, Rad Gunn who was an early UFC fighter stayed at his house uh, with Ken Kishno who actually started mixed martial arts arts.com with a few guys in Colorado um, yeah I mean you know what I mean? It's just, I've been fighting pros since 99 when I was 17. 
So it's like every fucking person that Rico Rodriguez at the old Higi Machado studio. Um, I mean, I, I can't, I probably, for, I've forgotten more famous people that I've trained with than I fucking have remembered. You know what I mean? Did you ever have a chance to get to the level of being selected to go to the Ultimate Fighter house and competing for the Ultimate Fighter like your uh, protégés that you fought against, that you trained against? Uh, yeah, twice I, I, twice I made it on the Ultimate Fighter. Um, actually, one time I got kicked off um, for, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll be frank, um, we all went out beforehand and a bunch of people were partying and stuff like that and they got mad that we went down I'm just being honest. I, I don't know if I can get in trouble for telling us. Uh, the executive producer at the time, I, I, should, I should probably should have named you. I, I was in last name, Jamie. They got mad at me and a few guys. It was a heavyweight, middleweight season. And before we were like officially starting the season, when we were doing all like the uh, kind of the formalities, like the last 20 of us, you know, they were going to take 16 of us, but we knew which four were the alternates. Um, so we knew we had made it when they'd already told us it. We were, we were just locked into the uh, Palace Station uh, Casino Hotel in Vegas because that's the one that Vertita's on when uh, Frank and Lorenzo were still alive. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went down to the bar and got fucked up and told a bunch of girls who were UFC fighters and brought them up to our rooms and, and they were not happy about that. And they told us like, dude, we fucking told you not to do this. It's not a non-disclosure agreement. And so that was a cool... And then, I don't know if... I, I don't... I don't drink anymore or um, I used to drink a little bit I don't you know I don't smoke weed I, but I have smoked weed I don't know if you've ever smoked weed but um I but have. yeah there you go Brian so uh and then one and then one the one kick in the dick season was I was like on like I the executives just called me Greg and everybody called me from Spike TV because it was on Spike TV when I was that bit yep. um and they were like hey you made it congrats and, he, and it was the first year Brian, that they ever drug tested, right? So they told us what they were drug tested for, like steroids and stuff like that, you know, like performance enhancing drugs. Because, and this is the first year of water, or not water, uh, first year of uh, the Athletic Commission, CSAC, or Nevada State Athletic Commission being involved in mixed martial arts. It was never, in fact, I thought I was the main event of the first ever California State Athletic Commission sanctioned show in Oceanside, California, Total Combat. Um, so, what happened was they had never dealt with drug testing before and they didn't know that there was two tests that were coming back. The first test was a performance enhancing drugs and the second test was a recreational drugs. Mm-hmm. Well, unbeknownst to me, and, and I'd smoked weed, I think a couple of times, I actually had to eat a weed brownie like three weeks before. I, I didn't think there was any chance anything would be in my system. And they told us all, hey, the drug test results came back, you guys all made it, congrats. And then, like, two days later, they call me, and they're like, you need to sit down. And I'm like, Uh-oh. what the fuck's up? Sat on my stove. Uh-oh. In California, yeah. We're like, you know, to Beach, California. And I was like, what's up? And they're like, we thought when the results came back, it was for the results. That was for the performance enhancers. And then the recreational drugs came back. And three of you guys, or four of you guys, all popped. Like, three for weed, one person for, like, a Xanax or something. And I was like, so what's the deal? And they're like, well, here's the deal. And it was also the first season you got to fight to get in the house. So the first season they did testing was also the first season you got to fight to get in the house. Oh. And they said to me straight up, they were like, um, 
we could let you fight to get in the house and win. But then we have to turn these results over to the athletic commission and they're going to suspend it. Or, you know, try again. And so then I was like, okay, went, fought a few times, fought at Bellator, and then uh, fought a few times after that and then got signed by the UFC. And then I got a bad injury in, in, my, in the UFC fight in Omaha, Nebraska. But, uh, so they made good on the work. They told me, hey, just fight a couple times over we'll sign you. And I fought a couple times in 2012. There you go. There you go. So, but what was it like? Being a part of that, being a part of that house, and with that testosterone, because that was a lot of testosterone in there. <laughs> well, it, it, it was it was interesting. Like there, I remember Paul Rabbit was there, uh, Matt Riddle was there, down the WWE. Uh, but bro, um, yeah, I remember so, that one. I remember that one. He was there. I'm, yeah. I'm here to the um, so those guys were all there. We were all trying out together, and it was kind of weird because we all got along like um, none of us had a problem we were all joking and laughing because by the time back then we knew by the time they flew us to Vegas like we had basically made it there wasn't when when my manager just made calls and got me straight into the uh, to we, like to the tryout process where we just had a roll for three minutes so um, so I'll rewind a little bit so at first it starts off with like three to five hundred guys there, right and you go, you fill out a shitload of applications, and then you roll for one minute mm. in front of Joe Silva and a bunch of other people from like the executive producer to the ultimate fighter. And um, I rolled against a black belt from North Carolina, and he wasn't doing much. And so I was a little frustrated because he, he kind of pulled guard and it just like cinched down. And so, and he's a good guy. I'm not going to mention his name, um, but he's a pretty famous guy. Not not super famous, but on the East Coast, he's known, and he's a black belt, and he's just, he just pulls guard right away, and just like holds on me, and I'm trying to pass guard, I stand up, and I'm like, don't slam him, and he's not doing much, and so I figured right now, at that point, I was a brown belt, and this guy's a black belt, but I was much stronger and better than him, but I couldn't break his guard, because he was only trying to like hold guard, I think he was basically like, I don't want to get tapped or passed, so I'm just going to try to act like I'm going to play my closed guard in a one-minute fucking grappling match to like... You have one minute to like show how to grapple and you hold a closed guard in front of Joe Silva. So I realized at that point, this guy's gonna just like fucking uh, gorilla fuck me and try to hug me this whole time. So I just started being me and talking shit. And I was like, I was like, do you want to kiss? I was like, why don't we just fucking make out, bro? Like, why don't we just make out right here in front of Joe Silva? And while I'm grappling, I push on his face. I was like, I was like, you know, push on his face, smothering him. And I'm like, I'm like, come on, give me a hug, bro. And then I grab him and hug him. I'm like, oh. And the guy, and all the executives are like, this fucking guy's hilarious. All the fighters around were like shaking their head, like, I'm sorry. And so then, after you grapple the 500, say we'll say 400 people, they shut that down to like 150 right after that. They, and they just start announcing like 100 out of 400 names, right? Then you wait, and then you go into a room where you have either a coach that you brought hold mitts for you, or one of their coaches hold mitts for you. Mm. And and I was in like the third to last quarter of uh, of the guys, and I had somebody there that could hold mitts for me that was amazing. You know, um, I, I I would go to Wild Card Wednesdays all the time, and Pepper Roach and, and, and Freddie Roach and James Tony were up there back in the day. Um, and so I watched. I had competent mitt man with me, but uh, I I didn't, I couldn't watch the other guys, but I like watch them kind of warm up in the hallway and then go in there, and then you got groups of like twenty at once. So they're watching 20 people hit mitts at once. And like, 
you know, eight different groups. And I realized like, like without being braggadocious, like, oh, I'm, I look way better than these guys on, I know I'm gonna look better than these guys on this. So I was like, I'm gonna use their guy because if I look way, way better than all these other guys with the same guy holding mitts, like way more power, like turning my punches over and moving and, and like moving like a boxer and stuff. And, and they're like, fuck, this kid can fight. And so I went in there, they held mitts for me for uh, like 25 seconds. So like you have 10 seconds left. And I backed way up and I ran in and went, flying headbutt, boom. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> and the producers are like, oh my God. And they were like, this kid's funny. And so after that, then they cut it down to like 50 people, right? And so boom, they're gone. So now you're in this room. So you've been there at this point for like fucking 12 hours. Mm. And then you go back and um, you get your hotel and you go to sleep. And then they tell you the next 50. And then the next day, sometimes they do the same day or the next day, they do the interview process. And they just put you in a room with the producers and they pick your brain. And they try to trigger you a little bit, for sure. They try to trigger you and see what you're about. It's reality TV. You know, they say, hey, you know, there's knives in the house. Like, what if a guy did this? You know, what if he did that? I'd be like, I'd turn the knife over to the blood and fuck him in the ass. And then they're like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I was like, I'll never stab anybody. And, uh, and so we did the interview and they were like, yeah, we love you, man. And then they choose like 20 or 22 people for the 16 spots. Um, actually, for us, it was 32 people because it was to fight to get in the house to get the 16 spots. So I think they chose 36 guys, four alternates, 32 guys. And then you would fight to get into the house and then 16 would go in. And uh, so then they flew us. So we did that. And then they flew us back out mm. to, uh, to, uh, to Vegas. And then we had to stay at the uh, Frontier or Palace Station or Frontier Station, Frontier Station or Palace Station. And uh, then you do your medicals. So then they just have these vans and they give you a per diem every day of like a hundred bucks. They knock on your door, hand you all a hundred bucks for food and shit to go around town. They tell you your schedule. This is where you have to be. This is where you have to be. You show up to different drug tests and then that's it. So by the time I got to meet a lot of those guys <coughs> that were on the show and that they got to meet me, um, we had seen each other around now for a couple days and kind of respected each other because we all made it through the process. And, and then when we're in the band, we're all just kind of hoping to still make it and get in there and have fun and, and make a name for ourselves. And, you know, when you know you're going to fight somebody anyway, you don't really have to, to poke the bear. Like, we're going to fight, you know? Mm. Now, the one thing I did kind of think about is, like, I'm going to see who the weakest link is here and start talking shit pretty early. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm a businessman. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. That's great stuff. So obviously you were in both. For, you were in a little bit there for UFC, and then you spent a little time, like you said, in Bellator. What's the difference between the two promotions and how they're run between Dana White and the president of Bellator? Bjorn Rusty was the president when I How different? How different are they run? Bjorn's a liar. Straight up, my coach was shot and killed. Like two weeks before I fought in Bellator. Mm-hmm. And I shouldn't say Bjorn's like a liar because it wasn't his fault. Like Sam Kaplan and Bjorn, they didn't lie. They, so here's the thing. Bjorn and Sam didn't lie ever, but they were released from the company. And then when Scott Coker took over, and it was kind of fucked up because Bjorn and, and Sam told my manager, I guess, they never talked to me. I, I never once fucking talked to I think I talked to like shook their hand and said, yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Um, but uh, Bjorn and Sam ran a great company, but... They had some issues, I guess, obviously. That's why Scott Coker and Abino and whatnot. But what ended up happening was 
they told me. I told my manager, like, I, I promised you to fight. My fucking boxing coach, was just Hector Gill, was just shot and killed. Like, I just I had to be at a funeral and, and testify in court right. about a guy fucking killing him. Like, right. I just testified in court about my coach being killed. Right. And, like, supposed to fight on NBC. And that, and that was the only Bellator fight ever on NBC Live. Mm. And from the, Kansas, from the Kansas City Power Light District. So I told them, like, I don't think I should fight. And they're like, no, 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 no. This is the first ever Bellator middleweight tournament. You're ranked number three in the tournament. Brian Baker's ranked number two in the tournament. I was ranked like four or five. I don't know what I was ranked. But I was Brian Baker's ranked number two. Alexander Smyko's ranked number one. So, like, you can fight. You can win. But worst case scenario, we'll take care of you. Like, we'll get you another fight, a good matchup. Mm-hmm. I, had, I had this piece of glass on the floor. I could have just stepped on it. Oh, thank God. Huh? Okay. <laughs> well, um, so, uh, so they told me, like, to, or they didn't tell me. They told my managers, like, because we already had the posters and we were supposed to be the main event. Like, we were the main two, like, the, you know, the big black guy was the tattooed white boy. And, mm-hmm. like, you know, um, Brian the Beast Baker, great guy, uh, surviving with me, by the way. Um, versus Sean the Destroyer Lawfer, a big black dude versus a big tattooed white dude, and, and so they they told my managers like no no no, and so my managers uh, who were dicks obviously fucking talked me into taking the fight, and I had a broken hand because I was talking at a Catholic church during the funeral, mm. and I couldn't talk. I was trying to tell his kids, hey, even though you lost your dad, now you got like fucking. 300 dads that boxed under your guy that would have your back, you know, like you'd never replace him, but we're here for you. That's what I wanted to say, but I was like, like crying. Yeah, like I don't bitch. blame you. Yeah, I don't blame you. So yeah. I went outside and I punched the wall of the Catholic Church. Well, Catholic churches are usually made of like brick, and so my <laughs> hand broke. And so I called my manager. I drove to Huntington Beach that day and showed him my hand. He was like, Your fucking hand is fucked. I was like, I know. He's like, it's okay. It'll get better. You can make it. And I was like, it's like two days away. He's like, you're fine. But I knew he wanted that 20% of my 15,000. Mm. You know? He's like, oh, Sean's getting like 15 or 20,000. That's fucking, you know, five grand for me or whatever it is, you know? Um, so I was like not in the right place um, mentally. And then when my manager talked to Sam and Yorn. They said, no, if worst case scenario, Sean doesn't perform well, we'll give it, tell us, you know, give us a list of a couple guys and we'll give him a good shot at a co-mate or something like that. And then um, in between me healing from the injury and losing that fight to Brian Baker, fucking Bellator got bopped. And so, and I thought it was just kind of weak when you make a promise to somebody. And I'm not saying on their part, because I, I don't know who, there could have been 20 people under those two that actually right. made decisions or didn't make decisions. So I'm not right. blaming any, I'm not fucking blaming anybody. I don't care. Right. But um, I was disappointed that I felt a little bamboozled because I took a fight with pretty, and I'm not making complaints. Brian Baker probably would probably would have beat me on my best day. I'll, I'll give him credit for that. That's what a real man would do. But it definitely wasn't my best day. You know, I didn't throw a punch. Um, I had a knee bar at one point. And if I was only two and a half minutes, I had a knee bar and just let it go. Because, fuck, I don't know. I just wasn't mentally there. I didn't, I didn't throw a punch. I like, threw it inside leg kick and then I like, just looked at it. And like, uh, and so I was really hoping that my man was big. You know, I hit him up. I was like, okay, well, these are the like, six guys that I want to fight like, right now. And they're like, yeah, um, uh, it's got these new managements, and that was just a one tournament deal. And my managers are also fucking assholes, obviously. A lot of MMA managers are, you can tell. Yeah, um, that's true. And so, 
So it was a little rough in that sense. And and the only reason I say those two names is because those were the two figureheads that were on the contract that I signed where mm-hmm. I was supposed to have more fights. And I didn't. And so then I said, fuck it. Went and fought for the Cajun Fighting Championship uh, championship in Louisiana. I fought Christian Fulton, who was on the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, fucking beat his ass. And then... Uh, and, and yeah, that was actually Justin Poirier's first pro fight. Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah, he's my, nice. he's my understar. Yeah, his first pro fight, I was made of Venom. There you go. And so, and, and I fought an Ultimate Fighter vet, Christian Golden, fucked him up. Then I went back to Pennsylvania, fought this big John Doyle, uh, this Iron Bull. You're right in front of the camera. <laughs> yeah, I need to know my daughter's still in funny. Sorry. Father's Father's Day weekend, you know? Hey. Kids live. I know. Yeah, I know how that is. I got two of my own. So there you go. You want to say hi to everybody? Hi. <laughs> All right. Go play this. Yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, so yeah, you know, it, and you know, in retrospect, I've never even thought about this, Brian, till right now. My managers were assholes, so they could have been fucking lying to me about everything Sam and Bjorn Root said. Right. Right. You know, I've, not, I've never even thought about that till literally right now. But like Bjorn and Sam could have been like, nah, like we told Scott Coker and those guys, and my managers were like, God, oh, no, fucking, we're gonna try and do some belts. So I just took a bunch of other fights. Um, I, I won a belt in Pennsylvania, won a belt in Ohio at the International Fighting Boxing League. Fought Bobby Martinez, Guns Martinez. I think he was sixteen and eleven at the time, or something like that. Like pretty German record. Um, fought in Louisiana for that belt. I fought in Arizona, fought in Mexico for the Cage of Fire belt, and then. I'm trying to think of any place else I fought before the UFC signing. I can't remember any place else I fought before the UFC signing. I fought somewhere. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I fought, I fought a local fight, but I sold like fucking 2,100 tickets. Mm-hmm. Um, like in a local fight, because I was like on a kind of a fight roll, like a roll of wins. You know, I think I had like nine to 10 wins after that in a row. And then uh, I fought a local show, sold it out. I had my buddy dressed up as a pimp with an Iron Man mask on. And I hired two, uh, we'll call them strippers, for him to hold and make out as I threw money behind him. And my fans, you can YouTube it, and my fans are going fucking crazy. These fucking sluts are making out. And I'm throwing money out of guys dressed as the Iron Pimp. Everybody's like, what the fuck is going on? And then I fought a guy named Brandon Gaines, who at the time was only like six and ten. So another kind of journey record. But we were building myself up to get back to where we wanted to be. Right, so right. we didn't want to do easy fights, but we didn't want to take super risky fights unless it was a pain. Right, And right. so, got signed in the UFC, got my bad injuries that everybody's known about in fucking every interview in the world, you know, over yeah. ankle, blah, blah. In fact, I saw that MMA Mania or whatever, like, top 10 fights that never happened, and I was the first one, I think. Like, yep, Fuck. yes, you were. Yep, I saw that. Yeah, and so, um, everybody asked me about that, obviously, and that, you know, sucks, and then um, after that, I fought a couple of UFC guys, past Smith, you know, who was older at the time, but I was older, knocked him out with an second head kick, Aaron Brink, who fought Andre Olofsky, knocked him out with a four-second checkup, um, and then I fought, uh, and then I went to pro boxing, got signed by Roy Jones Jr. Promotions, I went 8-1 in pro boxing, um, I had eight knockouts, one loss. My last win, I fought Jorge, and before I retired from boxing and went back into MMA, I fought Jorge Leal or George Leal. He was 32-5 and five when we fought, and I was 7-1, and one, and I knocked him out in the first round. He was overweight and old. He was 40 at the time. He's still a 32-5 and five former IBF heavyweight world champion, and I've got that feather in my cap. I went back to MMA, and that's when I fought um, this guy named uh, Josh Chamson, and I, and I actually broke his jaw. And then... Um, 
and then one more guy, and that was my last fight. My, Josh Tamsin was my retirement fight. I sold another shitload of tickets at a local show. He was uh, on a four-fight win streak, um, and he had about 28 fights, so I thought he was going to fuck me up actually when I saw him because he looked like he'd been doing steroids for like six years just fighting. And I was in a great day, but I was like, what the fuck? This guy's huge. And so I hit him with my first punch, and he goes down. And then uh, I retired, put my gloves in the ring, and then two years later, which was in 2020, April of last year, right at the end of COVID, we were the last fight in California before COVID hit. Um, a kid hit me up from the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And was oh. like, I really want to corner you. And his mom nice. Nice. And his mom goes, uh, Adam's dying in seven months. Oh. And he's to coach you in a fight. Now I'm going to fuck. And oh. so they found a guy that was like not a good fighter, but he had fought like 12 times. He's oh. probably not a good fighter, three and nine or something like that. And and then actually I called out a guy that was 15 and one. Mm-hmm. And here's what the fight. I think he's named Ben Beebe. And he pulled out. And then we called him and he's like, I'm not fighting him. And I'm like, bro, like, and he's like, I'm injured, I'm old, I got a bad back. I was like, we accepted the fight as a poster. It's for the Make a Wish Foundation. If, this, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it like me. I'm 34 and I'm pro in America. It's 34 and 5 at the time. Mm-hmm. You're fucking like 15 and 1 or whatever. Um, it, his name is Ben Beebe. Or not Ben Beebe. Uh, ben Davis. Big Ben Davis. Ben Davis. I think he's 15 and 1. Ben Davis. You guys can look that up. Maybe he's 13 and 2 or 14 and 1. Good record, built up record. I don't think he's ever beat anybody that's ever won five. Mm-hmm. In fact, or fifteen wins, which is that's an anomaly as well. But um, but maybe he has. I don't know. And if he has, and he's mad at this, we can fight at forty years old. If he's still fifteen, one, I'll fucking do that. Just, just, I'll do it for free if he gets back down. Just take. Ben's a good guy, actually. We talk. Um, so he was like, "No, I got a bad back," and then they found out like three nine or whatever guy, and I just went in there. Rocked the kid out in a wheelchair, you know, gave all the money to the Make-A-Wish Foundation, knocked the guy out, and then I just screwed up. So it really wasn't like a retirement fight. I just couldn't say no to that. Right. You can't. You really can't. I mean, it's yeah. like, I don't blame you. It's like, oh, crap. Here I thought I was retired, and yeah. oh, I can't pass this up. This is a, yeah. such a nice gesture that somebody yeah, thought I get, of me. I get, a, I get a package in the mail with a picture of me, an eight and a half and eleven picture of me, like, flexing in the UFC. And he's like, could you please sign this? And then there's a Make-A-Wish Foundation shirt inside the box. And I'm like, what's this all about? And then I see this note, can you call me? I call the mom and I'm like, like, and, I, and it's like, because I go like this because I'm just, I, I, don't, I don't go like this because I have to fight. I go like this because a fucking seven-year-old boy's back. I know, there. I know. I don't blame you. I know. I have the same and, reaction. And dad, and like, I'm an emotional guy. Like, I, I broke down, you know? Yeah, I don't blame you. Yeah, I was just like, I didn't even care about the fights. I was like, yeah, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Like, I just, I was just like, fuck, man, hearing about it, like, I don't know, hearing about a kid died sucks, you know? And like, for instance, like, if you look on, I think my Facebook page today, Cody Garbrandt made a post saying like, you know, uh, thank you, big brother or something like that. And I put, hey, I'll text you later. Um, And Cody Garbrandt's another guy. Um, He's like little brother. I remember he was fighting in in Ohio in the NAAFS, building his career up to get into the UFC. And Nicole Long Castillo, who's a legendary matchmaker in Ohio and Pennsylvania area, um, she was the first female matchmaker on the East Coast, and she matched for King of the Cage, IFBL, NAAFS, Valor. Like she's helped with every promotion of Bellator. Um, And so Nicole Long 
said, hey, I got this kid, Cody Garbrandt, but he's kind of all over the place. But he's like tattooed like you, and he's young, like, you know, 15 years younger than you, but he's like kind of the same mentality you talking to. We talked a couple times on the phone because he was having some girlfriend problems and shit. I'm not trying to get personal with Cody stuff, but like, that's what Nicole told me and me and him talk. So we talked a few times on the phone before he came out to Team Alpha Male. And uh, now we've all stayed in touch for the years. Like, you know where he messaged me today. And uh, shout out Cody Garbrandt. I fucking love that kid. Um, and he's got a big heart too. He helped the kid a couple fights ago with that belt where he walked that kid out and was crying and put that team to remember that fight. I do. And, and, that, and that's just like, shit like, I like, I like shit like that. So um, tell me, a lot of people say, I think it is because I was, even though I was slowly into the sport before this and I watched briefly, I had the DVDs. A lot of people say the best fight ever was the Ultimate Fighter 1 match between Stefan Bonner and Forrest Griffin. Do you agree that was the number one best fight in UFC slash MMA history? No, definitely not. Um, It was not the number one best fight in UFC history. It was the most important fight in UFC history. Okay. It... It put MMA on the map. It was on Spike TV Live, you know, around all these other, you know, like, uh, I think it was the Man Show and shit like that. Yes. That was popular, that was popular at the time. Yep. So it had, so, so people would, <clears throat> people watched that shit by default. And then they saw this bloodbath <clears throat> of an amazing match. An amazing match. Evenly matched, entertaining, bloody, fun, crowd was into it. They were into it with each other, and it, it took MMA out of what we know as the Dark Ages. And um, so it was the most important match in mixed martial arts history of any promotion. Anybody that would argue with me, they can go get fucked. But when it comes to the best fight in UFC history, or <clears throat> there's been a lot. Um, there has been. I agree. Personally, I go Robbie Lawler wearing a gun. Mm, yeah, that was a good one. I'm not going to deny that one. That was. A I good love one. that fight. Um, another, or <clears throat> as weird as it sounds, um, Chet Congo Pat Berry. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that one is a weird one, but I do. Yeah, I would have never thought of that one. Yeah, I would really never like, thought that one. Actually, yeah, it was like short and stuff, but if you actually think of it as a fight, it was. They, like, knocked each other out twice in one round. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, Crazy. So that's pretty good. Um, <clears throat> Don Fry, you know, not a good idea. That was a good one for Fry, you know, when they just sat there and punched each other in the face both a bunch of times. Um, then I would have to say <clears throat> probably Johnny Hendricks, George St. Pierre. That was a fucking classic. That was a classic. And I think George St. Pierre lost that fight. He did. Um, that was like I, towards it, the end of his career. Correct. And then I would say one more worth mentioning would be Joanna versus Willie Zang. That one I didn't see. That one oh I did my. not see. After this interview, promise me you'll watch that fight. Okay, I'll watch it. It's, I know it's a 30 minute ordeal, 25 minutes. I'll watch it. <clears throat> it's one of the most incredible fights I've ever seen. So, uh, 
tell me what what's it like now seeing because the women have been involved in MMA for what about six, seven, eight years now? I'd say about. Yeah. What's your take on that? Are you happy to see the women finally get their chance to be in the limelight with the men and kind of and and be main event status like the men nowadays? Yeah, why not? I mean, I'm I'm 100%. Okay, here, I'll break it down. <clears throat> when it comes to women, one, I, uh, I've never even said this in an interview, Maria Rousey is Ronda Rousey's older sister, and we dated in high school, and I've never told anybody that. Oh, damn. Uh, Maria went to St. Monica High School, nice. and uh, I would go pick up my, my best friend Tim Johnson in my Ford Bronco when I ditched my school. And I was in Manhattan Beach. I had to drive like 40 minutes to Santa Monica to drive outside. And he'd have to page him and give him a pager code because I'm old. And then he'd have to jump the fence at the Catholic school, get him, and then I'd go, go see our girlfriends or whatever in high school. Um, so that that was pretty interesting. Um, that, but I don't know. I'm sure Ron, I wouldn't remember that or, you know, have any recollection. She was a little. Who knows? She was a little yeah, who knows? <laughs> she was maybe 11 or 12, you know? She might. Um, you never know. Little little chunk, little chunky judo girl would come home in her gi with her mom, um, and that was in Santa Monica. Or they were like Venice, Santa Monica, Rose Street, Rose Street. They might have lived on. So if she sees this, she can know I'm not bullshit. Um, so that's just an irony, just that I brought up, just because I just made my thought about like the the, the first. That's crazy. Though. I never would have thought that. I never would have known you dated. R- uh, uh, Ronda Rousey's sister. I would never know. Yeah, that. And, then she went, she went, and then she went to NYU and became a sports writer. I believe. Uh, I could be wrong about most of that, but I think so. I, I could talk to my buddy. Um, I mean, it was like twenty years ago or whatever. Um, so, and then I I dated a girl who got I got her in MMA. She was interested in it, you know. Always we dated for a while, and then uh, her name's Shani Rust, and she now just teaches. I think a little bit, which is good for her. But I taught her like every fucking thing she knows about <laughs> punching and kicking. I mean, now she's not everything she trained after me for a long time, so that's a little disrespectful. But I started her out with everything, and I got her, her first two fights and made her 2-0 and everything. Mm-hmm. So obviously I was part of that. And then we have a shitload of girls at the compound gym in Oceanside. And then I manage other girls and a couple other girls too. I mean, Savannah M, she's in 1FC, and she just won her last 1FC fight. And, and I work with her and help her. And Daniela Glelly, who's on Joe Rogan, I think, six times uh, with History on Fire and stuff like that. Um, and, and, uh, and, uh, and then the Drunken Taoist is Daniela Glelly's. I know that. And then uh, he's always on Joe Rogan. And Daniele's, like wife, girlfriend, life partner is Savannah, who fights in 1FC. And she stays at my house when she's down in this area. Um, I'm making O'Toole fighting uh, July 24th. She's a good fighter. Um, and then we, and then I've had a slew of other girls um, that I've had training me. Uh, Peggy Ross, she's starting to blow up on Instagram. She's, you know, likes to, she's a good jiu-jitsu girl, has a nice butt, so she gets a lot of followers, and, and, I, and you know, got her some stuff. Um, uh, Lauren Mueller, I would go down to El Caron, um to San Diego Fight Club with Charlie Kohler and work with her. She was actually dating Tyler Sayoff. Junior Seau's son. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, and Tyler Seau trains at the compound. Or, or, I mean, on and off for the last 10 wow. years. Um, good guy. Shout out to Tyler Seau and the Junior Seau family of Oceanside, California. So then is he, go- <laughs> is he going to get in? Is he going to go into MM? Uh, is he fighting he at fought, he, he fought once after. He fought once after um, he, with another gym when he was dating Lauren who had started training at San Diego Fight Club. And I 
think he actually lost that fight by decision, the one fight he took, but he was a fucking beast when he was with me. And Charlie Cole was a great coach. Um, but he might have won by this, but I think he lost. He, I, I felt bad for him and just like everybody else. They, I guess he had to get his mind off something with the after what happened okay. to his father. Yeah, I mean, of course. 100%. Give me one second. Hey, Ali. Come here. Ali Joffrey. He's actually the only Pakistani American world champion. He's a pro fighter. He's a, he, he's got a, he's got a belt. Um, so he's, he's a really good fighter. He's, where, where are you? You're, he's going to Croatia. Could you... Oh, sorry. What's that? <laughs> okay. Go hang out with me. Yeah, go hang out with me. Um, so, so, um, You're good. So, yeah, um, so I have no problem with women fighting. Rosanna Mahunas is one of my heroes. Fucking, you know, um, I think one of the greatest uh, audio clips in MMA history is Joe Rogan going, oh, and Daniel Corey going, Thumb Rose, Thumb Rose, Thumb Rose. I mean, that's one of those, like, um, um, Ollie goes down, Ollie goes down. You know, like one of those Frazier's down moments, you know, where, like, you know, uh, you know, Mike Buster Douglas just knocked out Mike Tyson. You know, like one of those iconic. Joe, type Joe of has had a lot of those moments, not gonna yeah. lie. Yeah. He has so, had a uh, lot. Women, I suppose. Especially, I can't shout out Savannah. I love that girl. Um, and then the only thing I have a huge problem with is transgender people competing in MMA. It's fucking bullshit. For if a guy switches into a girl and competes in MMA, I will fucking go beat the shit out of that dude if he hurts a girl. Because you're a guy hurting a girl. Um, That's it. I, I, I'm not, not going to call you out on that one. Fuck what society says. You're a guy beating up a woman. <laughs> in a cage in front of people. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I agree with you on that one. I, I totally do. Yeah, they need to... Yeah, it's not right. I agree. Yeah. Because you but are. It is what it is. So that, but when it, and that's just in the form of competition. You know what I mean? I don't care what people do in their personal life. You kids can dress up as dominatrix and beat the shit out of each other. Right. Guys and girls, but not, don't try to get paid for it. Right. That's how I feel, too. I mean, because you, you still... Even though, yeah, you change has that mind you change as a person from the other sex you're still stronger than the sex that you go to so 100%. why i mean that's you're still technically beating up chicks you're still a right. you yeah. i mean come on <clears throat> yeah Fallon, Fallon Fox. i would say like oh Fallon Fox can suck a dick but that's like what she likes to probably do so um yeah, <laughs> yeah <but>. probably <laughs> yeah but you know, like um, I know what's that girl? What's her name? Ashley. I knew. I know this girl personally too. Fuck, I, I'm so sorry that I went blank on your name. But the girl that beat up Fallon Fox. What's her name? She's from Southern California. She's a tough girl, great fighter. She beat the shit out of Fallon Fox. I was so happy about that. Um, but yeah, so that I, I love women in MMA. Um, and just like I said about Jake Paul, women get more views when it comes to social media. You know, look at like, um, I had a uh, Misha Nasiri fought um, in Hawaii for me about five years ago versus, uh, uh, what's her name? The Hawaiian, the famous Hawaiian shit, Hawaiian fighter, big boobs, got dropped from the UFC. Um, you know what I'm talking about. I know who you're talking about. I can't think of her name right now. Rachel Osovich. Rachel Osovich. Okay. So, yeah, name, yeah, yeah. Misha fought Rachel Osovich to a uh, split decision loss, 
But like Rachel Osovich, when she weighs in and she goes like this and her boobs go like this, she's the cover shot for that whole weight. If you remember that kind of shit every time. So it's bringing marketability into the sport. The more attention we can get for you, for me, for the fighters, the better. Now I've got a couple more questions before we call it here. And heck, I even got a question for you after we get off here. So be prepared for that too. And I'll text it to you. So I got to ask you now, since you've long gone retired, you're now running a gym. In your point in your career, what fight, if it was offered to you by UFC or Bellator or one, the new promotion, who would you have wanted to fight? And why? It's a two-part question. Well, first of all, and I answered, I, I'm, I, and I'm, I'm going to answer the two-part question, the first part in two parts, and then I'll answer the second part. So, no problem. Uh, the fir- every when I was signed to the UFC and I got injured and I was expecting to rehab and go back into the UFC. Um, and oh, dude, I didn't even mention this real quick. Also, fucked. After I got signed to the UFC and got injured, that's when fucking Joe Silva left the UFC. And I'm and Sean Shelby's is cool and McManor's cool and everything. But when that transition changed, that also kind of fucked me too. So like both with Bellator, they switched band it, and then with fucking UFC, they got yep, me by UFC Chinese. did. Um, and I got injured in the UFC, so fuck my life. Um, so when I was in the UFC, everybody asked me that question, and it was Anderson Silva mm-hmm. because he was the champion. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be in the UFC in the middleweight division, I think if you're going to fight the top and everybody says, who do you want to fight? You should be the champ. So I can be the champ. That's so That's when true. I was at my peak, Anderson Silva was a champion and I wanted to fight the champion because then I, you know, I, I know I didn't deserve the fight. I might have to string together some wins and stuff. But ironically enough, um, when I got injured against Buddy Roberts from Greg Jackson's, Buddy... They considered that a win because I wasn't able to fight because of my ankle. So his next fight was against a 5-0 and guy from Brazil and Chow Magahelis. Chow Hubba Magahelis. Chow, no offense to Chow, he was 5-0 and and now I think he's like 5-5. And, and Buddy Roberts beat him handily and I'm like, I would have fucked that guy. Then um, Buddy Roberts got a last minute shot because of that win to fight Yushin Okami. And the winner of that fought Anderson. So you should fought Anderson. And in my head, I'm always like, hmm, I beat Buddy. They give me Chow. Last minute you should. I'm right there. You're right there, um, yeah. And so and you should fought um you fought I think Anderson in, in Ireland or something, or Buddy fought you should in Ireland, one of those two. So um so once again, another like just interesting little like uh, MMA math bullshit that never works out. Um so Anderson would be my answer when I was active. And then at the same time, if you ask who I could fight anyone. When I was back then, I was trying to think of who I was calling out. Like who I really, really wanted to fight. Um, let me think. Who did I really want to fight when I was in the UFC? Take your time. No, I know. I'm thinking because I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I know. I, I know. I said Anderson, but I. But it's also not like a deserving thing to get a call champion when you're, you know, just getting into the promotion. I my favorite fighter is, you know, Nick Diaz. So I would never want to fight him. Like I love Nick's attitude and style. Um, even though we're fighting at the same time, he still inspired me. As lame as that is, um, 
him and BJ Penn were kind of my heroes. Mm. Um, and then I kind of, this sounds weird because he trained me a little bit, but like, I kind of always wanted to fight Tito Ortiz just because he's like so relevant all the time. You know, like, that would have been a good like, fight. He's like a better wrestler than me, but I think I'd knock him out. You know, like I hit harder than Chuck Liddell, and I'm a much better striker than Chuck Liddell. Like um, Chuck is very good at transferring weight into his punches, you know, but he's not crisp or anything. Um, you know, you throw straight the the, the, the fastest point between the, the shortest, you know, point between two two points is straight line, and Chuck's never throwing a straight punch. Um, so, and he clips. Tito a couple times in his prime. Um, so I feel like that would have been not because I don't like Tito, I, I really like that guy and his wife's amazing, his swings are amazing and, uh, and, and his political career is amazing. But I feel like that's one of those guys where it's a kind of easy stepping stone, like you, not step, not easy fight, easy stepping stone into fame. Like you beat Tito Ortiz, you're now famous. Yeah, that's true. They start up the stepping stone of Tito or anybody that knows Tito to take you to reset this. No, 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 Tito is not an easy fight. It, it, as a stepping stone, it's a stepping stone into fame and notoriety right away. So now, my last question to you is: Before I let and you go, and Boston Jones Jr. I was supposed to fight Roy Jones Jr. in Arizona, and I lost since I ate more. Ah. I lost. If I would have won that fight at the uh, convention center, at the, so you uh, actually fought him. Uh, what's that? You actually fought him, Roy Jones Jr. No, I was supposed to fight Roy Jones Jr. I lost the fight to fight Roy Jones in Arizona, so. I really wanted to box him. What's your last question? Ah, uh, okay. Well, I, that would have been a good fight, too, if you would have had that one. Um, but Now, you see a lot of these past fights and now current fights that have had rivalries and, and trilogies and all that. Do you honestly think that these fighters really hated each other? And then ultimately ended up getting respecting each other after these fights. Like Ken Shamrock and Tito, they respected each other after. Uh, same with Ortiz and Liddell. Do you think there's actually pure hatred going up in, going into these fights before they respect each other after? The Ortiz Liddell, they hated each other. I, I know that whole backstory. I saw so much of that personally because I was training Huntington Beach and stuff with them. I was training with Amanda. Uh, who uh, was a Bellator champion back? Um, knocked out Joey Beltran, um, who's one of my best friends. Um, shout out to Joey Beltran, bare knuckle fighting champion, toughest motherfucker in the world, executioner. And everybody watched Joey Beltran fight um, coming up in the next bare knuckle fight. He's going to fuck up Sam Schumacher. Fuck that guy. Joey Beltran, I love you. Um, so, I, I. Chuck and Tito really hate each other because of what Dana White did to them. Dana White managed both. You know, Dana White was just a boxing coach um, in in uh, in Boston before he came out to Vegas. He got threatened by the mob. Dana was going to get killed by the mob, mm-hmm. and uh, he was managing fighters out in Boston. And they and uh, he got a couple of fighters some fights, and, and they weren't supposed to do certain things. And so, um, and then there was some money coming into his boxing club, and they wanted to come to Dana and say, "Hey, give me your money." And Dana said, "Okay, I'll give you money." And then he fucking left and flew to to uh, to Vegas to to be the Fertitas. Um, and then he started managing some more fighters like Tito and Chuck. So he, Dan White was a manager of those guys before he was president of the UFC. Mm. And so Dana then built those guys up and then became the president of the UFC. And then he had to fight each other. And Dana knew Chuck would beat Tito. Right. 
right. and that's why he had the icicles <laughs> going down the shorts, the flames going up Tito's shorts, the Iceman versus the Bad Boy, uh, Southern California versus like, Central Northern California, and built it up because he knew he would make money on um, with the UFC on marketing that matchup. The, you know, ice versus fire, and and the shit talk, and they used to be training partners, and it was kind of fucked up um, for Tito. Because he was then going to get kind of a sacrificial lamb um, to build up Chuck after his little title run now that Dana was the president. So that's why Tito wanted to fight Dana, you know, in that boxing match. And that's why Tito and Chuck started to hate each other because Tito thought they were teammates and Chuck said, I'll fuck you up. You're fam- more famous than me. I want to I want to take advantage of that. And so, um, so that one I know is real. Um, Garbrandt and Dillashaw, they hate each other. They fucking hate each other. Um, that's real. Um, anytime people get personal, it's probably real. You know, if you talk about somebody's wife or charity or trainer or or steroids, like, you're, you're getting into the, like, we're, we're fighting in the parking lot type of fucking shit, you know? So then, like, the Khabib and McGregor situation. 100%. That's, that's real. But there's some that are fake. There's some that are fake. Which were the ones that you remember were fake? Um, a lot of them. Like, uh, like, uh, mo- I mean, most of them, like, that, that they talk shit are, are fucking bullshit. Like, most of the girls, okay, um, like, Rampage Rashad, I think that was a lot for the cameras for the Ultimate Fighter. I don't think they hate each other that much. Like, when Rampage broke that part. Yeah, I agree with that one. I was going to say uh, that one. And then, um, I think, like, uh, what's her name? Was it, uh, uh, Rose Damahunas, or not Rose Damahunas, I'm sorry, uh, Joanna Driss, and, uh, when she, who, who she coached against the Ultimate Fighter. Was it Claudia Dale? Who did, whoever Joanna coached against the Ultimate Fighter? Um, I know who you're talking about. I can't think of her the name. The Rosona chick. Yeah. Um, I don't think that was that real. I, any beef on the Ultimate Fighter, I think, is bullshit. Because it's reality TV. So what do you what do you think about um, Rhonda Rhonda and uh, Misha? Misha, yeah, was that they legitimate hate, hate? They hate each other. Yeah, they did. Yeah, I didn't see much yeah. of their fight, so I couldn't tell. I know, I know. I think I believe she was the one who ended her career, though, ultimately in MMA, and that's why yeah. she went to WWE. Yeah, um, yeah. I, well, no, Holly Holm ended Rhonda's career. And then oh, okay. man, I knew that. I knew it was, it was one of them. One of them. She beat, well, uh, Rhonda beat Misha. And then Holly beat Rhonda. Then Misha beat Holly. Then Amanda beat Rhonda. Then Amanda beat Misha. And that's right. And then Amanda's been king ever since. I'm such a nerd for knowing everything about fucking the fight game. But, um, but, uh. That's yeah. why I'm glad to have you on. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, yeah, I know so much. I mean, I've just been in Florida one time. You know what? I know everybody. Um, I mean, I was just in Arkansas sitting at a table with Tom Galecchio from the Ultimate Fighter, Joe Daddy Stevenson, Chris Levin, Kendall Grove, and me all sitting at a table in Arkansas fucking 10 days ago. I even had Patrick Ote, who was on the original one, too. There you go. I was supposed to fight Patrick Ote in uh, Canada, but it never happened. Really? Yeah, I was supposed to originally fight David Blue Rosso and a promotion called Shut Up and Fight. 
And uh, I still got the poster of me versus David Lawrence, which is kind of cool. But um, but uh, yeah, and so that's what made it happen. But interesting. So now this is truly the last and final question. Drew, okay. This is truly. Do you think ultimately, if UFC honestly did not have that fight between Bonner and Bonner Griffin. and Griffin, Griffin, that the UFC would be as big today than it was back then? Because they were going through, like you said, a lot of shit. They were transitioning. They it took Jeff Blatnick, former announcer, to become to become commissioner to bring that sport up to where that to got to that point before Dana took it over. But before that fight, if they didn't have that fight, do you think UFC would be as big as it is today? Yes. The inevitability of hand-to-hand combat has been the main draw for, for sports since the beginning of time. The Roman Coliseums, the Gladiators, and the UFC. Since, you know, do you know what the first ever televised uh, event in history was? In history, the first ever worldwide televised event that people no. could actually watch if they had the access to. No. It was in, eight, it was in 1892. Really? Did not know that. John L. John L. Sullivan boxing match. Really? The guy with the bar mustache. You know, you've seen the pictures of him. That's the first Oh, okay, okay, yes, I have. I have seen the pictures, yes. So that, the bald guy with the yes. mustache, just like this, that's the first ever live, uh, the, the, out of everything that they could have chosen to air, the first thing on an, on a broadcast, not TV, because there was no television, but it was right. broadcast, it was right. recorded. I, maybe it was about, I said maybe the first ever recorded thing, but it was a boxing match. And then what did, uh, what did thousands, hundreds of thousands of people go see? They call a scene, like I said, the gladiators. It, it's inevitable. People want to see who's the toughest guy in the neighborhood since the beginning of time. You know, who's the baddest man on the planet. Right. And so if it wasn't their fight, inevitably somebody else would have, some or something else would have happened to bring the sport into the line. You know what I mean? And, and I, I, I have to say... I have to agree with you, but a part of me kind of says no, because when I was watching it, I mean, I liked it. Granted, I did like it. It just seemed like there was through, it was going through tough shit. Like, they didn't know what they wanted to do. It yeah, took- and it might, to answer your question, it might not, okay, so you're right in a way, it might, the UFC might not be what it is, but there would be something just as big for MMA. In right, America. right. It, yeah. it, it just, because they were going... But you might have the UFC actual. Yeah. They were going through tough shit. It took, like I yeah. said, Dana White and the Fatitas to change the whole thing around. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're, they're fucking amazing. Because, <laughs> obviously, Blatnick gave up in it as commissioner. Yep. He obviously said F it once he lost that TV deal I think it was was it Fox or SEG I can't remember SEG Sports Entertainment Group yeah when Blacknick owned it owned the UFC yeah yeah, yeah, after, yeah he, he just said F it I gave up so he just left it in shambles and that's when I believe Dana and the Fertitas ended up taking it over yeah from him so no, um, not only did uh 
not, you're, you're completely right on it. Not only did uh, Latinx give up, but then if you remember also, um, there was politicians in New York and stuff calling it a blood sport, trying to ban it, making it Yes, yes, there was, so yes. The, so not only was it not that popular, and not only was it not making that much money, and if you remember the first UFC paper you ended before the first made a bet you made. Yeah. Um, because they didn't buy enough paper we time, about three hours and three hours twenty minutes. So there was so much fuck stuff going on, and then they were bankrupt. But then to make it worse, people are trying to make it illegal. So the fact that they made it is pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And to think, I bet you Hoist Gracie is looking back at it to this day and is amazed at what it's come to this day because he was the one. Him and his family were the main ones who got it to be aired first. That's the whole point well, of UFC 1. That's the first time I ever trained at, was the Gracie Academy when I was a little kid. And to this day, I still teach the invisible gi choke that Boyce Gracie taught me at See? a small studio in Hermosa Beach. He taught me the invisible gi choke. It was me and him and a guy named Nani, or not Nani, um, uh, Pro, so it was a karate studio right on Pier Avenue in Hermosa Beach. And Boyce Gracie taught me a choke. Um, but I, that wasn't the gym I was training. I was training at Parsons Gracie Academy. But Boyce will tell you 100%. Like, um, yeah, I mean, the, the they used it just to try to get customers. They didn't yeah. think it was ever going to be a real thing. They thought it was going to be a one or two Exactly, off. yeah. They did. So so thank, thank God, you know. For, for everything has fallen into place, you know, serendipitously to to make it a real visceral sport that people love. And besides, before I let you go, the, besides from the Poirier-McGregor fight coming up, is there any fight you're looking forward to seeing on that card besides that one? Uh, I haven't even looked at the whole... Who, do you, can you read? Do you know who the, who's on the card? I don't, actually. Um, I've got to look at the card. I, you know what? I'm so busy. Um, I, I will, I'll look at it and I'll watch the fight. One hundred percent, I'll be watching this fight. But I think that's like July twenty fourth. Yes. Or July July sixteenth. July sixteenth, I think. Yeah. I think like July sixteenth. Um, so, like I said, we got eight people. We got I got a pro fighter, Bruno uh, Hello Loco. That means crazy hair. Castillas, he's a beast. Um, he just beat a tough Hawaiian guy, Kumara uh, Mock or something, um, in Arkansas. We have Raheem Gillian fighting. We have LJ Porte. He's an L- LFA fighter. He's on LFA Kofaxi fight. We have so many people fighting the 24th, and then we got people fighting. So I basically update myself on the UFC fights like the day of. I'll read like the uh, I'll read like the cards and who made weight or what's the weights and stuff, and then I'll start getting interested in it. Unless it's just like super hype, you know, like tonight, like tonight there's Dan Vigay versus Green Zombie. That's tonight, you know. Um, they might be fighting right now. I mean, no, no, it starts at seven. But um, so yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's all kinds of fights that I look forward to. But I, I guess right now I'm looking forward to the uh, Dan versus Korean Zombie fight tonight. What's tonight. Yeah, that's the main event tonight. Yep, yep. But awesome. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate your time. It was fun. Come yeah. on as much as you want. I appreciate it. And yes, I'm I'm going to text you my question to you that I have. Good. And you're going to love it. Trust me. I know you will. Great. But it was fun. You have a good night. I will text right. you after. And. Real quick. Real quick. And go most ahead. Important. Go ahead. 
thecompoundmma.com, my business, the gym, the compound. If you want to be the next, we're like, we're, we're going to be the next Greg Jackson's next AKA. You know, things come in order. I was fighting when those were coming up. Now that I'm focused on coaching, I'm going to make our gym order back. But that's not the most important thing. I just had to give a shout out to my gym and, and all my boys and my family, my mom. But the biggest shout out today, Father's Day. Dad, you know, Jim, love you guys. All the dads out there, um, just take care of your kids, take care of your, your sons, your daughters, treat them well. And all the stepdads, you're not a stepdad, you're just stepping up to be a dad, you're still a dad. And happy Father's Day to everybody. And feel free, feel free, since you gave that shout out, feel free to have your fighters watch the episode because we're broadcasted on YouTube as well at coffee time. Yeah, there you go. Exactly, there you go. So have that shout out. It's on. You you got my info. You are, got my are Twitter. Gonna, are you gonna listen through the interview um, before you post it? Yeah, and I'll send it to you. Right. If you do, take a notebook, write down everybody's name that we talked about, and I'll try to see if I have them friends or hashtag and give them a little shout outs and, and, and put the link under their name. Say, hey, we talked about you a little bit. Okay, will do. Awesome. Text me later, Brian. Will do. All right, same to you. Happy Father's Day. Take care. Later, brother. Later. Sean Leffler, everybody, former MMA fighter. So this concludes episode number 34 of Coffee Time. Uh, This will probably be a new thing, probably every Saturday, maybe Sunday, depending on when my former co-host Brett comes over. So it'll probably be a one-week, one-day thing now. So you all take care. Have a good night.